dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory i'm your host adam walker and joining me on this cinematic expedition as always we wouldn't be midnight flicks without him is pat mitchell hey pat just real quick um how's my mic sound do you hear any extraneous noise am i sounding good great i think season two we're going to dedicate to being the cleanest season yet in terms of audio quality you sound fucking great i certainly hope so because cleaning up these episodes has been one of the banes of my absolute existence if i could get that off of your shit list i would do it in a heartbeat buddy but i'm telling you well that's why this season we're gonna we're gonna crack it so hard out of the park that we're gonna be able to afford we're going to be able to monetize this bitch and be able to afford a actual producer. Yeah, I'm looking forward to monetary gain or at least breaking even uh, by season 34. <laughs> yeah, so I just I want to be able to I want to be able to take the money that I'm making off of these GameStop stocks and invest it. Roll it over. <laughs> Incidentally. So a lot obviously has happened between when we signed off back in October, November, beginning of November, and now obviously there is a compendium of things that we could discuss if we were a current events political podcast. Um, but we don't have the time, nor are we in any way, shape, or form, I feel, um, accredited to do that. But I will say that my partner – she did. She was compelled to actually start investing in stocks because of the GameStop Melvin Capital thing. So who knows? Good. Good for her. I still don't know uh, anything about the stock market. And uh, this didn't really uh, 
spur me to learn more. <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't resonate with didn't, you. Didn't, I didn't care before and I don't care now. Although I did like, I liked what was going on uh, yeah. from a crap fucking bringing the system down to rubble. I liked the idea of it. Uh, yeah. I mean, how, how, how can you not find joy and glee from hedge funds being bankrupted and stock market fucking piranhas crying on national television because other people besides them figured out how to game the system. So I, yes, a la Cartman when he's licking uh, the tears of Scott Teneman when he killed his <laughs> fucking parents. That, <laughs> just licking these hedge fund assholes tears that, you know, was was a good way to 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 start this new year. But um, you know. We got a crank. The boys are back in town. Boys are back in town. That's right. Because season hanging- two is here, and I'm so excited. And and here we are together hanging down at Dino's. There we are. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, if for some reason we are in disagreement on any of this, if the boys want to fight, you better let us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell us so, so, I... I'm real excited to talk about tonight to tonight's movie. This was my pick to start off this season because last season, our uh, maiden season, you started off with The Running Man. So tonight we're going to be talking about 1986, The Hitcher. A, in my opinion, a classic movie. A uh, a movie that I watched when I was pretty young. Um, so it's it's a movie that I've rewatched countless times. I will say I was a little I was a sleepy boy last night. I had a pretty rough day at work. Um, I had a rough time getting through it last night when I had had to rewatch it to do my notes. Not Actually, out of boredom, just out of not out of boredom at like all. I just exhaustion. I was exhausted. So I crashed out towards the end of it. I had to actually wake up this morning before we recorded and rewatch the ending just oh, to make so sure. It is fresh. The ending is fresh. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. I, I was I was very reinvigorated after a long night's sleep last night. So I, I felt good about, you know, because last night I was struggling. I was just like, I don't know, man. I can't even think straight. So, anyways, but here we are. Uh we're talking about the hitcher. And um, so, like I said, I've seen this. I saw this movie pretty, pretty long time ago, pretty close to I would say maybe about six years, maybe after it came out. So we'll say 92 or whatever. Okay. And this is one of those movies that I feel like it. It was talked about in hushed tones, especially if you were a young, you know, Cretan like myself and you were just getting into like horror movies and metal and punk and and things that are considered transgressive because there is a very infamous scene in this movie that we will get into. And that scene is the fulcrum in which this movie kind of pivots off of and kind of made it so infamous and legendary years later. So that's what I'll say about this movie off the top. What thoughts do you have as far as 
in regards to your initial thoughts and, you know, how you came to discovering this movie? Yeah, it's very similar to yourself. Um, I've seen it a bunch. I saw, you know, fairly early on uh, in my movie watching. Um, Yeah, I think it's a great gateway drug movie. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like it's a good starting point to seeing other fucking mayhem. It's probably my, yeah, I would say it's the first thing I've seen Rudger Hauer in. I don't think I I saw Blade Runner before this. I definitely, I I would have been bored to fucking tears by Blade Runner at the age that I saw The Hitcher. <laughs> I, I will probably say the same. Yeah, I, I think this might have been my first Rucker Hauer movie, and and what a way to get introduced to that guy! Oh, it's great. Yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't stray far from that uh, insane course throughout his career. He basically just plays different variations of the same uh, perpetually evil fucking dude, which I love. Yeah. Um, I was yeah. going to say, I think in certain ways, for good or bad, because Rutger Hauer, from what I've read, he didn't really want to take on this role because he didn't want to take on the, another role as a villain. Mm. But he took it because he liked the script. And I think in many ways, this might have pigeonholed him for being that diabolical fucker. But, you know, whatever. When you're when you're the best at it yeah <laughs> like him i would say the upper echelon of this n- niche role is like him and like dennis hopper i think it's a very short list of fucking dudes that can come in and uh do a lot of damage real quickly and you just see their face and you're like i know who the bad guy is like i don't need to there's no research needed uh neither one of them even have to have lines before you can ascertain uh what they're probably up to, but um, yeah, as to the C, the infamous scene you're speaking of, I feel like uh, if there was a, a B roll of, of footage that you were, you could be shown as a little kid, like the same uh, older brother of a friend that'd be like, Hey, let me show you where I keep my dad's gun. Like that <laughs> same yeah. fucking guy that would show you like just a snippet from a movie and, all you kind of retain from that movie is that singular scene and it kind of transcends the movie itself. Uh, we'll get into that, that infamous scene uh, in more depth, I'm sure. But if you've seen the Hitcher, there needs, there's no more discussion necessary in terms of what scene we're talking about. Cause it's, it's so iconic that uh like i said it kind of transcends this movie like that scene comes up and you're like here it is like you it always gets me so excited i'm always like fuck yeah this scene rules and then it happens and every time it's so good it's right it it works still and it's the you know there's other scenes in the movie that i actually forget about uh in the through the course of repeated viewings but that one is unforgettable yeah, absolutely. Um, I would also liken this to, in certain ways, s- seeing like your first porno <laughs> when mm. you're like a teenager yeah. or whatever. Yeah, so absolutely. You know, whatever. Um, but basically, to sum this movie up right off the top, what it's about is there's a young man who is hired to do um, a driveway for a car. And he is traversing the U.S. through what is presumably the Southwest at this point. And 
he picks up a hitchhiker and all hell breaks loose essentially so right from the get-go and it's this cat and mouse kind of thing throughout the duration of the movie between this teenage kid and this guy that he's picked up and it just kind of accrues interest over the course of the movie as far as more and more crazy insane things happening until the very end yeah very simplistic in terms of it's a movie that you could catch in the middle like if it's on hbo and maybe you've never even seen it you can catch it like 10 or 15 minutes in and be like okay this dude this guy's just getting harassed by this this loner with like no backstory yeah it's it's great from a very elementary classification sure sure um as far as how it did, it was basically it was kind of a disappointment. It, it just it had a budget of six hundred or six million dollars, not six hundred million. Whoa, that'd be a lot for 80 I standards. I would love to see that. The six hundred million dollar <laughs> itcher. <laughs> uh, starring uh, starring uh, what would, like uh, at this time or now? Yeah, this time like it would be sorry. It'd be like the, Mel Gibson directed Mel Gibson, the Dwayne the Rock Johnson, <laughs> or 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 if it was today, yeah, it was six hundred million dollar hitcher with Dwayne the Rock Johnson directed by Michael Bay. Yeah, that'd be, what a what a yeah. piece of shit that would be. That would be awful. But anyways, um, the budget was six million. It just grows shy of six million at five million eight hundred forty four. Oh, so it broke so, even. So yeah, it just came so close. So it was kind of a critical and box office disappointment failure. Um, critically, I, it was all, like I said, it was kind of panned. One notable uh, criticism of it, of course, is we got to go to our friend Roger Ebert. He's back. He's fucking back. And back in That's so, the theme of today. Right. Um, so. I had the uh, chance to rearrange my spare room, second guest room, whatever at our house. Um, It's been pretty cluttered for a while because I've had to like keep various musical equipment in it and whatever. But anyways, through the course of reorganizing it, I was able to reorganize my books that I have in here. And I totally forgot that I have Roger Ebert's book. Your movie sucks. I don't know if you've ever read it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I haven't read it, but I, very familiar with it. So anyways, so I picked it up to see if there was any discussion about the hitcher in the book. And there is a surprisingly because Roger and Siskel both hated this movie so much. They said, if we could give it zero stars, we could. Wow. And really? Yeah. They fucking hated it so much. And this all goes back to discussions we've had in the past about Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert had an obsession with Jennifer Jason Lee. And it goes back to see fast times at Ridgemont high. And I, you know, my read into this has always been that Roger Ebert was probably, you know, a creeper, a secret, creepy uncle guy. And any of his issues that he had with violence or, you know, any degradation that was preyed upon women in movies I'm not saying that some of it wasn't rightful, a rightful critique, but I feel like a lot of it was kind of this virtue signally kind of like he's actually hiding some of his own shit that he has. But he 
was always bummed out whenever Jennifer Jason Lee had any sort of things happen to her character in a movie that he deemed debaucherous or demeaning or whatever. Jesus Christ. So obviously with this movie, again, we're not going to talk about the scene in particular, but those of you who know about this scene that we're talking about, the, the big daddy scene that would, if you had a boner for Jennifer, Jennifer Jason Lee, and you felt you had like a daddy complex or whatever, that would super bum you out, I would assume. Well, so I think, well, let's, let's talk about, well, just, you could say the scene, Mary. I mean, we're not high, we're not saving that for anything, are we? Well, I mean, I just want to talk about it more in when we get into the meat of talking about this. So, the, I mean, the, I guess I, let's without just say, going into detail, the way she gets killed, I'm sure he has a, so he takes umbrage with the graphic nature in which she gets killed. And it's, it does, it is surprising. You really don't expect her to get killed in this movie. Yeah. Well, the thing is, though, the nature of it, it, it is it's an implied graphic. It's one of those things where they don't show you directly what happens to her. It's just implied that she gets fucking wrecked, like really brutally. Anyways, so they both hated it. They both shit all over this. And, and a lot of other critics also, they thought it was a dumb movie. There was a dumb premise. There wasn't a lot of, you know substance to it which they could be right i'm not necessarily saying but you know we watch essentially what would be considered critically substanceless movies we watch what are fun movies essentially they're good popcorn movies so whatever but there was a few critics that did like it but the, the the bulk of it was like the the mainstream critics thought it sucked i'm surprised and not surprised all in the same measure (laughs) yes right it's hard. It's a fucking. It's a real crapshoot when it comes to these. It's it's hard to find uh, honest interpretation of of horror movies in in uh, in a critical lens. Yeah, that's why you got to find the writers that you trust or the ones that you like or maybe have uh, maybe have made made their made their bed with uh, with specifically reviewing horror movies because it's what they like. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's probably a more trustworthy source than than more mainstream. Well, and I would also say particularly critics of yore before the Internet, because you had a very when it came to, you know, notable, uh, conspicuous critics, you had a very limited pool, of course. And so there was the you know, um, expectation that in some way, shape or form, they might've been in the pocket of certain studios or whatever. So, you know, there's that whole thing. You got to contend as well. Especially back then. Right. So anyways, that being said, do you have any other thoughts, uh, about this movie before we jump right in and, uh, take our scalpel to it? Our, our, our switchblade. (laughs) Uh, I was going to save this for later, but I didn't have a place to put it in. I, the only other thing I'll mention is that, and I, I'll bring this up again as we talk about this, but I feel bad for C. Thomas Howell's trajectory as an actor. Uh, and I think it it cataclysmic, cataclysmically falls off the fucking cliff in 1986 when he did The Hitcher, which I 
don't think ruined his career. But then back to back with Soul Man. Soul Man. I was going to say, Soul Man was the one that I think did him in. Yeah. Unfortunately, (laughs) he decided to do like a blackface uh, basketball movie. And uh, (laughs) I just feel bad for his career because he went for – because he – and then he went on to do a million movies still. But he went from like – a, a, a rising young actor that could have been the dude to being right. like a dude. And I, <laughs> I feel bad for him because you see that like the outsiders cast and how yeah. fucking stacked it is. Absolutely. And everyone went on to be uh, like mega superstars. And I, soul man fucking crushed <laughs> his life. And uh, I, don't know, I don't know. I just, I want to give some love to see Thomas Howell. Cause I, I do feel really really bad and i feel like he could have had i think he's proud of his career if you were to talk to him honestly but i feel like his career could have been much greater yeah but yeah other than that no other we can get into it okay so we're gonna get into the good the bad and the questionable where we pick apart what we liked about this movie what we thought sucked and what we have maybe the ambiguous parts or things that we have questions about plot holes etc things like that so here we go good right off the top so i will say this and i kind of noted this when we were talking about the synopsis this is a movie that just right from the get-go kicks on the gas and doesn't let up you don't get any time for exposition or whatever there's no background to any of the characters it's just right from the get-go see thomas Howell, jim halsey aka jim halsey picks up this hitchhiker whose name may or may not be John Ryder. And from there on out, it's like, it's a fucking hell ride. It is a, it is a uh, Wesley Willis hell ride. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good description. Yeah. (laughs) So that's super sick about this movie. Um, And it's like, it's terrifying from the get go. And if, there was any sort of cultural or urban legendy type of prevalence of the idea of the maniacal hitchhiker that existed in the minds, the Jungian psyche of humanity, especially the people in the U.S., if it existed at all or not before this movie, it definitely was catapulted after this. So Yeah, and through a series of movies, I would imagine. I mean, Creepshow has a fucking obviously a very famous hitchhiker uh short and i I feel like 80s had a 80s horror really latched on to this this fear of the uh of the american road like the wide openness of the american road but also the unpredictability of it and not knowing exactly who's traversing it and i think that manifested in uh, a lot of different movies, but yeah, I think the, the fear was fucking real um, by the eighties. Now, obviously, hitchhiking didn't start and or peak in the eighties. It was, 
you know, more of a, I, I feel like it's, it had its big rise and, and it was a major thing in the seventies. Cause you also talk about like, uh, uh, last house on the left and that, that sort of shit. Like, uh, it's in movies even back then in terms of when hitchhiking goes wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and it's funny that you bring up last house on the left and I don't want to digress too much, but, uh, I think I've talked to you about my friend Brandon and he'll probably listen to this. So I want to, I, we don't have enough listeners to shout out listeners. So I'm glad that we have a consistent one that I can shout out. But Brandon, who's a really good friend of mine, my old bandmate, and who's a regular listener of the podcast, he just texted me out of the blue last week. And he's like, I just watched last house on the left. And I, he just basically was like, this movie sucks. And I had this ongoing discussion with him for the entire day about last house on the left. So it's funny that you, that you brought that movie up. Cause that is a good yeah, example. Weird. That is strange that I, yeah, <laughs> in a roundabout way, but he, he, I mean, he's, the one, he's the one that thinks that you hate Hellraiser. So on the mic, can you oh say, my God. Straight? Yeah, I hate Hellraiser. There you go. Very good. So there you go, Brandon. Cheers. Um, but what I want, <laughs> what I wanted to say real quick before you uh, you uh, have anything else. Um, yes, I think the the hitchhiker dangers of the road thing that is one of those '80s artifacts, like the Satanic Panic and things like that. That for sure might have cemented in many ways urban lore and legend that may or may not be statistically fact, you know, as far as there actually being this prevalence of murderous hitchhikers. Also, you know, the seventies into the eighties was the height of the serial killer phenomena. So you have that as well to contend with. Yeah, absolutely. But, but anyways, um, the, I mean, we we can't discuss the good without bringing up the French fry scene. So, do you want to talk about it now? Absolutely. I I did, I try to compartmentalize my thoughts. It it is one of the all time great what the fuck moments in a movie, <laughs> not just like a thriller, but just like in general. It's mm -hmm. a it's it is ingrained in my brain as like just a top five what the fuck moments in terms of he's, he's delicately eating these French fries in the diner. Uh, and he's putting, he's eating and putting down French fries. And in the course of doing that, he picks up a severed finger and <laughs> has like a gross out, uh, uh, fucking like spit out my fucking food and go hurl behind like the dumpster kind of moment. <laughs> yeah. But it is so effective because it, it, See the the shot stays on him while he's eating those French fries for a curious a curious amount of time, but not curious enough to where you're expecting anything. It's just phenomenal, and it is the scene of of the movie that we have, were referenced off the top. Yeah, and it's funny that you also bring that up because the French fry scene is a part of a uh, a clutch of scenes that i also have in my questionable in regards to this movie but yes that french fry scene is completely, completely iconic and i i think that's another one of those things that if you saw this movie especially if you were young you had a paranoia of things like that when you would eat food like oh am i gonna find worms somewhere? in my spaghetti right am i gonna find uh 
an appendage or something in my food. So yeah, totally. I agree with you on that. That's, uh, uh, yeah. So what I wanted to add to the good as well is this movie has some pretty phenomenal chase scenes in it. And especially when you consider that it all revolves around cops. So there's a lot of cop chase scenes that devolve or evolve, depending on how you look at it into cops getting, just fucked up in this Obliterated. movie. Obliterated. I, I, <laughs> I'm not sure if this movie gets made in uh, Blue Lives Matter 2021. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> I like that we uh, came back for season two with our cop killingest movie yet. Because uh, we <laughs> had Assault really on Precinct, Precinct 13. Yes. Um, we had. Uh, I, I guess it's shocking that nobody no, cops don't die in falling down, but that, yeah, yeah, it really is. But I was, I was going to mention that, but no, nobody, no cops die. Um, and, and you know, and the running man, the first way we kicked off season one is, is about like subjugating and, and withholding information and, and big brother lying and having to fucking kill more cops in order to get the truth out there. Yeah, which also just goes to show that, you know, we do watch movies in general. Movies are entertainment and we watch fun movies. But that's what's so cool about watching movies and also having a critical lens over them is you can see these kind of, you know, these discussions that are being made within the movies or you can make certain parallels or whatever to what's actually happening now. These are like. These are movies that were made 30, 40 years ago, and they are themes and discussions that, you know, we can apply to today's uh, current environment and what's happening in the U.S. Um, so, I'm yeah, sure we'll come back to it again in, an, in yeah. another format and different. Absolutely. Billy Jack, that was the one I was trying to think of. Billy yeah. Jack loves killing cops. That, loves mother- it. that motherfucker. Boy, we got to do Billy Jack two, three, four now. Um, but you know, <laughs> Billy, Billy Jack crushes the Iraqi invasion, whatever the fuck that one was. <laughs> yeah, that Operation, yeah, Operation Dumbo Billy Jack drop. <laughs> but I, to bring it back around, I literally wrote great action set pieces. It's, it's, I feel like the core of this movie, it's a horror movie and it's, or a, more of a thriller in its soul of the movie. But I totally agree. There's like really, really complex, like almost Mad Maxian style uh, car chases in this that otherwise, if shot poorly, would be super confusing. And I've watched movies before that have chase scenes with multiple crew and specific to this movie. It had like three or four police cruisers and like police helicopters and shit and like. It you know it can be done poorly, especially in the editing process, and become confusing. But you never are confused as to what is going on, and that is like that is a testament to not only the editing but the directorial process. Like they fucking nailed all of the action set pieces, and I feel like the uh, the escape from the police uh, precinct was very reminiscent of like Ram of first blood. 
Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he just like woke up and uh, I feel like Rambo had just, just left that precinct. <laughs> like John Rambo came and went because when he's walking around and everyone's fucking dead, like that, that scene rules too. But yeah, I totally agree with all the action stuff is, is top notch in this surprisingly. Yeah, the the coordination of the scene where Nash and Jim Halsey are in the cruiser, the patrol car, and the the two patrol cars behind them are gaining speed. They actually they line up parallel to them, and then Jim Halsey hits the brakes, which causes the two. It's poetic. The two cruisers kind of they they just run into each other in a, in a perfect kind of X and obliterate each other. There's there's a really, really good uh that's a really good example of coordination and choreography of car chase. Stunt work. Like it is Great expert stunt work. stunt work. It's like on the level of like bullet. Like the movie yeah. Bullet. Like it is fucking it, there's some really, really great and smart uh chase scenes of this. I totally agree. Yeah. Um so my next thing I was going to talk about in regards to also good stunt work and things that I feel like have either been utilized in movies before this or somewhat reprised in other movies after is the scene where John Ryder is in the <clears throat> he's in the prison bus and he dispatches all of the the cops in the in the prison bus and then jim halsey is gaining up on him and he blows open the back door and he jumps on through uh, the windshield through through the windshield of jim halsey's uh truck that's also another one that's really amazing i love that so much and that and the that that is a complicated piece of work too like jumping from vehicle to vehicle but also like i you just made me think it, with no correlation, the gas station explosion, the gas station yes. scene is fucking nuts. Like that yeah. is a major explosion. That That is a one take explosion. I, I don't know if that's what they call it in the biz, but I feel like that is a we're going to have one take because the, we're going to blow this motherfucker <laughs> off the top. So like if you can't. <laughs> but we yeah. fucked this up. We don't. We don't have any more gas stations to blow there's up on this, no on back, this yeah. level. There's no more money in the budget. Our six hundred million dollar budget for another uh, for another explosion. But yeah, it, again, like just really great action stuff. It's like the perfect melding of a, an action thriller, action horror thriller. It's weird. Yeah. And so I will say, as far as just an overarching good, great is of course Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer. <laughs> makes this movie and it's definitely one of those things where i'm not saying that the other people in this movie didn't do fine jobs in their own respect but it is definitely one of those movies that if rucker Hauer was not in this movie playing john Ryder, this movie would not be as good as it is he just knocks it out of the fucking park he just is completely genuinely terrifying and menacing menacing throughout this whole movie and to piggyback off of that, because I had main cast fucking kills it, because I think Jennifer Jason Lee and, and C. Thomas Holler are, are equally not maybe not on Rudger Howard level, but like they're also fucking great. But also and I don't know how I've never never put two and two together, but Jeffrey DeMunn is in this, yeah. who's in Green yes. Mile and Shawshank and missed a million things. But yeah. also my fucking boo thing, Armin Shimmerman of 
Buffy and Star Trek fame, right? He shows up. Absolutely right. love is right at the end as an interrogator, and I like popped out of my seat like I was watching <laughs> wrestling or some shit. Yeah. Like I, it, I couldn't believe it. So great. There's some great bit performances in this. I mean, Armin Shimmerman chews up maybe five minutes of scene, and it, it's fucking phenomenal. And Jeffrey Demun has a little bit more to do in it, mm. but I, I thought both of those were killer too. But yeah, casting. Almost top to bottom is fantastic. Even like the podunk uh, officers that like bring him in, <laughs> like originally, like yeah. even those dudes are really exuding like backwoods fucking uh, out in the middle of nowhere justice, and I love it. They they got some good good vibes. If C. Thomas Howell was black, this movie would have been about an hour shorter. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> right. fuck. But that's like the kind of vibes they're giving off is like shithead vibes. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. That's that's another thing that, you know, I was thinking throughout watching this is it really displays how shitty cops are and how, you know, even though, yes, it is their job, quote unquote, to protect and serve and whatever to to attend to the law in a in what would be a fair judicious manner obviously the way they're treating c thomas howell is completely horrible they have no actual evidence to link him to any of these murders but right off the bat they're like fuck this guy fucking scumbag you know fucking just getting the shit end of the stick yeah and so even the one cop in the at the the local precinct he's he says after they interrogate him there's no way that this dude is the killer but they still treat him like shit so just imagine <laughs> if in my fantasy fucking world you combine the hitcher and soul man in the one movie <laughs> right. so see thomas howell's in blackface and he gets pulled over yes and we're like 25 minutes in about 30 minutes into the movie and then it's just they lock him up and throw away the key and then roll credits <laughs> this is like another Another job well done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if we could put these two movies in the same universe and tie them together somehow, that would that'd be a f- <laughs> that would be funny. Hitcher um, two, Hitcher talks <laughs> Hitcher two, Hitcher stocks soul man. You know Perfect. You know you know there was a Hitcher two. I I, I did. I saw I saw that. And see that was all it. I've never seen it. I saw it when I was doing research and I could yeah. not believe it. I did not know that. Yeah, and then there was a Hitcher remake uh, that came out. I don't know. I remember seeing it, and I've, I think I forgot it about as mu- about as quickly as I saw it. Yeah, I can't imagine it's any good. Um, but yeah, I wanted to say also it was funny seeing uh, uh, what's his name Quark or whatever. Yeah, and, Armin Shimmerman. Uh, Armin Shimmerman and Jeffrey Demun's been coming up uh, like for some reason quite a bit with me lately. I. Uh, watched um christmas evil uh, oh boy and he's in that and so you know he's one of those dudes that when i see him it doesn't it doesn't quite sink in right away every time now it has like it is fully cemented in my conscience like oh it's that guy because every time i see him i'm like where the fuck do i know him from and then i look it up and i'm like oh yeah he's the cop in the hitcher and he's also a cop in the blob remake which yeah, i he's love in the blob remake he's also he was in um, walking dead walking dead so officially i know jeffrey demun's name i know where i can associate him with he's and like I, dick miller 2.0 yeah i really like him a lot he's he's great so he's fantastic 
Okay. Um, well, that's, I mean, do you have any other? Well, of course, we got to talk about the main good. Duh. I cannot, cannot leave this out. The main good, the scene that we're talking about before the, that pivotal scene, the semi scene. This is the scene that makes this movie the urban legend kind of movie that it is because it is so just white knuckle sweat on your brow just fucked up what uh how this scene is so and it is essentially it is like the centerpiece of the movie even time wise because you know if you if you were to actually calculate where it ends up it's probably like right about maybe a little bit past the halfway mark of the movie um but essentially what happens is after the the big chase scene that we're talking about with the cops uh halsey and nash nash is played by jennifer jason lee just reiterate she's a a waitress that jim halsey meets early on in the movie during the finger scene and she kind of takes a liking to him and and sees that he's innocent right off the bat and then throughout the course of the movie she ends up completely aligning herself uh with him completely against her own probably better judgment um because then she makes herself of an accessory to everything that jim's doing so um there's you know this implied kind of romantic element to what happens with them but they end up um taking rest at a hotel jim goes into uh to take a shower he comes out she's gone and then he walks out and jeffrey demun says hey you gotta come here because we got a serious situation and boy is it a serious situation so during the course of that time john Ryder, he had uh entered into the hotel room and kind of snuggles up like all creepy next to nash um and that's she's a just, great seat too right Holy that's shit. great too because it's so he's just like sneaks in there and lays next to her and is being a fucking creep and then he ends up kidnapping her and tying her one half her feet to the end of uh of a semi-cab and the other half to the trailer so it's a drawn and quartered sort of situation where she's in the middle and and he's just like itching to fucking pull away and so it's this whole scene of negotiating with him to not rip her in half. And so Jim Halsey is asked by Jeffrey DeMunn to go in and talk to him um, and try and convince him to not pull away and rip this teenage girl completely to shreds. Um, And yeah, it's just an incredibly tense scene um, and the implications of it are pretty horrifying. And it ultimately ends with him letting go of the gas and then you don't see it. So that's another one of those. It's one of those instances where you don't actually see the gore and the horror. It's completely implied that this guy lets go of the gas and just pulls this girl like a fucking, you know, like a piece of fucking beef jerky in half. So I imagine there's a lot of entrails. (laughs) I imagine that's a, that's a uh, legs dangling from the back of the semi, uh, entrails spill out across the the blacktop kind of scenario right just a you know one of those traumatically horrifying moments and they did it to jennifer jason lee who at the time was like uh america's sweetheart i mean yeah she was 
like it's crazy that they that she has such a death in this uh it, it's nuts you don't expect it to end in in tragedy when it's happening and they do some great scene development because my initial reaction every time and i i guess they explain it and then i'm like oh yeah i'm like why because there's people in the background with guns i'm like why don't they just snipe this motherfucker but then they explain like if he lets the foot off the clutch this the cab will roll and she'll they'll be fucked anyway so yeah it's crazy basically he's asking him to kill him He, he gives halsey the gun right yeah uh is he asking him to kill him or himself that's the part i was like kind of confused on no john Ryder is asking him to kill him like he wants he wants him to kill john Ryder. right and but that's the whole thing but then that's what i didn't get because i was like okay obviously he wants him to kill he gives him the gun is like kill me but then i'm like how does this solve the scenario? The girl, the, then she's still fucked because the cab is still going to roll and Halsey doesn't know. How, there's there's fucking three pedals down there. I mean, Halsey doesn't know how to stop that. It's not a break right. scenario. It's a it's a fucking it's a it's a semi with like double clutch and, and all sorts of fucking components that. But I, I but don't I think, understand. Right. But I think that's that's where the movie does get kind of complex psychologically um, is. What's developing throughout this movie is this through the cat and mouse sort of game is that John Ryder is someone that ultimately wants to be stopped, but he's also turning this into a game with Jim Halsey and the cops as far as like seeing how much he can get away with. And on top of that, what he's trying to do is trying to he's trying to see if Jim Halsey is a worthy adversary to not only stop him, but also maybe become him. And that's, what's implied, you know, after he kills Jennifer, Jason Lee is, Oh, he's so he, you know, he's, he's kind of agging Jim Halsey on and taunting him by saying, you know, I want you to kill me, but I don't think you got the guts. I don't think you've got the dick to fucking ultimately end this. And I'm going to prove it when you back away and I kill this girl no matter what. And I go on living. So do you think the scene is better? Because I do. If he asked Jim Halsey to kill himself because it's a life for a life. It's Jim, like kill yourself and I'll let the girl live. Whether or not you believe me or trust me is 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 irrelevant but right. kill yourself and she will live instead of kill me it's a scenario it's a bad batman villain scenario because it's like yeah knowing that she's going to die regardless he has no motivation to on top of that kill have blood on his hands and have to live with the fact that he killed somebody the rest of his life even though through the through the mental manipulation and psychological torture that he's he's suffered through up to that point he probably really does want to kill him so i get it from that perspective but she's there's no scenario where she lives Mm -hmm. in in the scenario that he has uh come up with i i feel like you give him the gun and you tell halsey to kill himself yeah but then i don't know how you end the movie from there uh but i feel like that's a much more interesting dilemma sure that's 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 a good timeline also to you know develop a hypothetical about but i don't know i don't know if that would make it better or worse um 
So, but that's how I feel about it is again, you know, the, the, the implied trajectory of the movie. And this was a criticism that Ebert had as well as he didn't like the idea that eventually Halsey was identifying with John Ryder as opposed to seeing him as an adversary. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. but anyways, that is, that scene is again, that's the centerpiece. That's the, the, that is um, the grand, you know, not finale, but that is the, the, the main focus of this movie and what essentially bisects it from being part one to part two. So, yeah, and it's a great scene, regardless. But yeah, it's, it, I would say, I would say it's like the, yeah, it's like second, it's like the penultimate scene because I mean, other than the crashing through the back of the prison bus, I mean, that's the second. It's like the first of two climaxes. Yeah, yeah, because at that point, it's just John uh, John Ryder is apprehended, and then it focuses more on, you know, the psychological, you know, aspect of what is comprising, like what makes John Ryder do what he does. They can't figure it out. He has no identity whatsoever. He has no background. He's just this, you know, he's just this unknown apparition that just decided to suddenly, you know, go on a killing spree. And then, you know, he still is toying with uh, Jim Halsey throughout this to try and like get some sort of pleasure out of it, whatever. Anyways. So yeah, then it leads up to the ending, which is the chase scene between Jim Halsey and the uh, prison bus, which leads to Jim Halsey ultimately killing John Ryder, or it's implied that he kills him. It kind of leaves it a little, I mean, he shoots him. It looks like a fatality, but I think it also implies that he might still, be able to live because he's he is in certain ways this kind of supernatural force which i wanted to discuss that into the questionable but before we get to that unless you have anything else to add did, uh, no do you i know i don't okay do you want to go on to the bad yes yes absolutely all right let's go on to the bad i'm gonna leave it to you to kick it off because um i don't know i don't have a lot of bads but yeah you know, neither did i really but, i mean it, this is through no fault of its own, through no fault of the movie, the movie has just aged terribly, just like culturally, like hitchhikers are a distant memory and with modern day surveillance and cell phones and, and whatnot, the script just doesn't make it to market, I feel like in today's uh, culture, or not culture, but like in 2021, this idea of hitchhiking is, is uh, kind of absurd. Uh, at this point because it's just not something we do when you can get a fucking uber or a lyft basically even out in the middle of fucking nowhere um you know i feel like that aspect of it you feel like you are watching a time capsule piece of sorts um yeah now it didn't ruin it doesn't ruin the movie uh it's it's the only bad i could come up with i suppose i should say is that you know it just kind of exists in the time period it exists, mid eighties, and I, I feel like it just can't it can't be replicated for a, a it's the same reason why serial killers stopped killing. Not police didn't get smarter, technology got more advanced. <laughs> it, it made it fucking impossible to kill people and get away with it and then cross state lines and then know that no one's in communication with one another. So, you know, it's one of those kind of scenarios. 
Sure, sure. Yeah, I get that. Um, for me, there's a few things. Um, although I can't really imagine somebody else doing a better job. I I do find I do find C. Thomas Howell, or at least the character of Jim Halsey, a little grading that's always been a thing for me where i'm like god this guy is such a weenie i think that's his acting style because pony boy had a similar vibes i feel like pony boy is kind of i don't know he just his acting lends itself to that a little bitch yeah well you know (laughs) i don't know if you did it on purpose but i thought you were gonna say a little bit but you just said a little bitch yeah bitch (laughs) yeah that's great if you did it on purpose (laughs) I, I don't it wasn't intentional. That's okay. Um uh, that's just my draw. That's, that's just my, that's okay. My, um but um you know so that's where I kind of have, you know, a little bit of um Well, we're uh, going to get into recasting and I actually have a very interesting recast that you might be interested in when we get there cuz okay. I couldn't think of a lot of good recasting choices but as much I I like C Thomas Howell in this knowing that it's the last of his good run. Yeah. Uh, you know, doing Outsiders and Red Dawn and The Hitcher, like basically all in like a five year span, is absolutely fucking incredible. Yeah. And it's commendable. So I would never want to replace him, but I, no. I see what you're saying. But I knowing that he's about to do Soul Man and ruin his fucking <laughs> career, that I, I I want him I want him kept in this time capsule as as Jim Halsey because it's the last thing you'll ever do. It's great. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I guess for me, it's it, it's like I on the one hand, I expect him to be a terrified, simpering kind of teen. Yeah, wimp. I think. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I feel like when it starts to make the transition after that that central semi scene into him being kind of this hardened, you know, weary sort of semi badass it's just it's not convincing at that point he doesn't he doesn't make the transition from the one to the other i i feel like very well he does there's no uh there's no growing pains there that would lend you to believe that he would just eventually become yeah he comes off as the kid in um over the top uh he's sylvester stallone's kid in over the top that like whiny bitch baby kid he's like a little bit (laughs) an older version of that shithead yeah, and that kid is such a shithead too. He is in the uh, he is in the pantheon of shit kids in movies, like insufferable <laughs> chi- children uh, uh, characters. He Absolutely. is that kid in Over the Top is the fucking worst. It, it, so and this bad. performance is not anywhere near that. But I'm saying, like, if, if that kid from Over the Top grew up a little bit. He would be he would be very simpering and it, very similar to how you described C. Thomas, C. Thomas Howell's uh, portrayal of this character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a main critique I have of it. There's some other things I never really thought about this. I mean, it's kind of implied when this happens in the beginning, but one of the reviews that I read also points out that they thought that somehow this this is from the 80s so this is interesting they thought somehow that this movie was disparaging of of gay men and 
I mean, the closest I can think of is there's the beginning, the very beginning scene where they come to that checkpoint and the cop is talking to them and he's like, where are you going? And he's asking him all these questions. And then he looks down and he sees that John Ryder has got his hand like almost like completely on Jim Halsey's nuts. And he with sees a switchblade the, in his, with a switchblade. Yeah. And the cop says, all right, you know, sweethearts, get going. <laughs> but which is a hilarious that, read by that actor. It, it, it's, it really that's a great, is. That's a great read. He says specifically because I, I I put it down. All right, the road's clear now. Get going, sweethearts. So I don't know. I mean, I guess there is some sort of subtext that maybe there's a relationship between how John Ryder and Jim Halsey. You can't pull from any other like, like that is very that is a very specific scene. But other than that, like I don't see anything that would be yeah. considered disparaging throughout the rest if if anything i think it speaks to this idea of cops being grossed out by gay people <laughs> just like all right sweethearts moving along like, like like just when cops would visit Dahmer and just be like oh there's just this is this weird gay shit going on i don't like i'm not i don't want to investigate this weird bondage shit anymore like this, i don't want to delve into this lifestyle because i'm already grossed out so i'm not going to do any more police work on this like it's like that <laughs> level of incompetence but i don't think it's disparaging necessarily but we're two uh straight white males so i don't know if we have that right so yeah <laughs> that's, yeah that know. could yeah that could be a perspective that we just don't Ooh, have fuck am i um so i would round this out by saying that there are some definite like kind of bad decision plot holy type of things that happen all throughout the movie. Um, just like the main one is Jim Halsey and Nash are both, they are, they're connected to numerous cop killings. Nash and- specifically, like what I heard. Well, uh, never mind. I'll get into it in questionable. That's more of a questionable thing. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, so there are those elements where if Jim Halsey gets even after he is cleared of not killing all these other people, he's still there's blood still on his hands. Yeah, he went from an innocent man to (laughs) guiltily becoming like guiltily trying to exonerate himself. It's so bizarre. It's like, dude, just just keep not killing people and you'll still be innocent. But like once you start having blood <laughs> on your hands, I, I don't know if there's a, any recourse here. Right. So there is that there's a lot of just, you know, people that aren't idiots, you know, would do something different in this movie and it would be a much shorter movie kind of, you know, scenarios that you could think of. So that's another thing, but Again, with movies, you got to suspend your disbelief with those sort of things. So overall, it's it's I'm getting I'm picking nits at that point. I feel like yeah, we're nitpicking for sure because there's just not a lot of bad in this movie. It's just it's just great. And it's a super fun movie. Yeah, there's not a lot of bad for people like us that like shitty movies anyways. But yes. (laughs) So anyways, okay. so that being said, questions, what questions do we have? I have more questions than I had bad. Um, I think we're both thinking the same thing, which is logistically, how does he even sneak the finger on that plate? Yes, <laughs> that is a big one. That is a big one for me. There are certain elements that happen, that being the main one throughout the movie. That and also, was it tossed in the fryer with the fries? It didn't look right. extra crispy. It looked exactly. uh, nicely severed. It looked freshly severed. Right. So – where is John Ryder able to in any way, shape or form? Because 
you know, he is a sneaky character. That's the whole point. I I think that implies to me that there is a supernatural aspect to John Ryder that they're trying to hint at. Um, it's one of many. I, and, but I think you could you could fix that scene if you do a couple of things, couple of things. One, the diner is open. Two, yeah. there's people in the fucking diner. Three, it could it you, you could or could not include this, but you just show John Ryder like throwing away a like uh, an apron and a hat in the gar- in the dumpster in the back. Like he came in and, pre- and pretended he was like a fucking line cook for the day, and it's yep. super busy. And yep. you know, order up. He fucking rings the bell or whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like that would be fun. That would be fun. But then you're expecting some shit. You think the burger's poisoned or something. Uh, right. Which I don't know if I, I enjoy that dynamic. I The simplicity of it is what makes it a what the fuck moment. But yeah, the simplicity of it also lends itself to logistically, okay, this didn't, this couldn't have happened at all because the, the diner was locked up and it just doesn't make a lot of sense because you see her prepare his food and yeah from point a to point b i don't you don't know how the fuck that got there yeah so there's that instance the other instance that sticks out for me is i believe if i'm thinking chronologically after jim halsey escapes the two deputies or whatever that are taking him in that gets blown away by john Ryder driving up at that point jim halsey has he has a revolver on him and then he goes to the other place. Roy's diner sits down is met by John Ryder. And then there's the interaction where he threatens to shoot him under the table. And John Ryder says, go ahead. There's no bullets. Once again, it's this instance of how did John Ryder know that that was going to be the exact gun that Jim Halsey ends up taking therefore to take the bullets out of. So, yeah, no, absolutely. It, it's, I think, uh, it, it, in order to not discuss too many, uh, in order to not discuss like multiple scenes, there's a weird supernatural element to that's lended to his character, to, uh, Rudger Howard's character that is very reminiscent of Max Cady in Cape Fear. When we yeah. talked about like the, uh, the, how unkillable he eventually became, Right. Um, there's just like at the end when he's just, how did the fuck how the fuck does he get out of the like I guess we're just went, made to believe that he could get out of those cuffs or whatever um, it's 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 insane that he would get out of the cuffs get a hold of the, the shotgun on the fucking yeah. prison bus and all that like all of that is just pure insanity that lends itself to the very ending which it's like yeah he shoots him but you're made to believe through the course of the French fries and the fucking weird. Pre- he knows about how many bullets are in the gun. He's able to fucking get out of uh, restraints and kill everybody on a prison bus. And the, just through the course of all of it, it's just like, all right, this guy is almost supernatural to the point where it almost lends itself to a, uh, an alternate ending where this guy's like a figment of his fucking imagination or something. Right. Well, and that's what I thought about for years. I just considered the finger scene to be a delusion. He's having a hallucination. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it would it would be fun to see the Hitcher as a as a real fucking batshit movie. That at the end, like maybe Jim Halsey did all that stuff, 
yeah. and you get a little bit more exposition with the drive away and you get a little bit more, just a teeny bit more. Maybe he's running away from a crime in Chicago. Yeah. And he is the hitcher and the hitcher is he. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, th- and that kind of lends itself to the fact that, uh, you know, he, that, that name is, is totally made up. Like he says, John Ryder, but the way he delivers the line, he's like, John, he's like, what's your name? John. Yeah. Uh, Ryder. Like it, it's, it's clearly made up. It's not his fucking name. Uh, it could easily have gone that direction. They didn't choose to do it. I don't, I'm not really mad about it, but it, that would have been an interesting swerve. It would have explained all the fucking unexplainable. <laughs> yeah. It would lend it almost like, like a high tension sort of element. Yeah. Totally. Very high tension. Like, yes, exactly. Exactly um, like that. But I was also going to say that with his supernatural implications to the character and the, th- the things like some of the scenes, it also is it's reminiscent to Michael Myers and especially going back to just the fact that the last thing we recorded and talked about was Halloween and the last Halloween movie. There's the scene where Michael Myers escapes the the prison bus. And also, isn't there the scene where um, he escapes the gas station by slamming through the fucking garage? door? I feel like that's like almost pulled from uh, Return of Michael Myers or something. I feel like there's a scene like that. Yes. So that's it's these are these instances of whether they're intentional or not. There's these sort of scenarios that exist in the collective unconscious of filmmakers. uh, Good point, because that that is the the prison bus. I never didn't even didn't even register with me. But when I was watching the gas station scene, I thought specifically of that scene uh, where Loomis goes to visit him at the gas station. Then he disappears and slams out the fucking garage door. Yeah. Well, no, I immediately thought because it was probably fresh in my mind because we just talked about that, that newest that's Halloween. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's a good connection. It, there's got to be something there, I'd imagine. Or maybe it's just pure coincidence. I don't know. Yeah. So so there's all of that. There's the, the inexplicable aspects of John Ryder, which is cool to me. It's not necessarily it's not it's it's not a, a knock on the movie. Um Again, but I guess this ties into it as well is how the fuck is he able to shoot a helicopter out with a revolve uh, a helicopter out of the sky with a revolver ain't happening. I mean, logistically, <laughs> I don't know shit about shit, but I, I, I mean, did you come to the same conclusion that he just killed the fucking pilot? That's what I thought. He like killed the pilot. And that's why I kind of did a nosedive because no one was at the helm. No, I took it as he shot up the engine, but either way, it's, I mean, he'd have to, again, but if we want to talk about he's just some sort of like supernatural entity that also is an amazing shot. (laughs) Well, yeah, maybe, (laughs) but that was, that's always one to me where I'm just like, okay, that's, that's not going to happen. But anyways, (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I agree. Uh, I just uh, assumed he killed the, the. The helicopter pilot and didn't think anything of it, but even that would be uh, borderline impossible, even for a marksmith. Yeah. Um, another thing too, I don't kind of, I don't see really strategically how it makes sense for Nash to tell the cops that they're turning themselves in when they're being pursued by cops, because I think it's implied that. Oh, they're going to be soft on them that they're saying that they're going to eventually you know, it, it implies that 
the cops that are in fact chasing them are all this also the cops that are going to have sympathy for them to make it to the final destination of a cop station. I don't understand that. Well, her she makes a lot of questionable decisions, uh, uh, mainly palling up in like a Bonnie and Clyde scenario with this individual that she knows nothing about. I mean, she's just going off of a hunch of one conversation she had at the fucking diner and then was just like his ride or die bitch for the rest of the (laughs) it's fucking nuts. It's really nuts. Like uh, she's putting a lot on the line for a romance in a Petri dish. Like it's a, it's a (laughs) fucking, it, it culminated quickly. I, I, yeah, it's strange. Uh, her motivations are uh, almost more mysterious than whether or not uh, the hitcher himself is real. <laughs> yeah, it's strange. The only thing I, I can think of that is, well, she's just just a small town girl that just all of a sudden uh, is like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to throw my life away because what life do I have here working as a diner uh, a diner waitress a fucking f- fry fucking the fried, yeah the f- <laughs> french fried finger diner yeah uh, yes yeah, she, she, so. she sees uh, no no future <laughs> so she, she might as well go to a women's prison somewhere in fucking <laughs> new mexico or whatever <laughs> right so anyways um but yeah i think that pretty much sums up my questions you have an, anything else you'd like to i add? don't have a qu- i have a f- <laughs> I have like a Seinfeldian uh, <laughs> issue. Jim yeah. Halsey, motherfucker, he's eating French fries and he's put who eats French fries by other than my three year old by biting one, putting it down, and then grabbing a fresh French fry. It's <laughs> I like, know. Finish the goddamn French fry. <laughs> Fuck, what the fuck are you doing? It's like, I feel like Costanza would run into the double dipper and the the person that's eating in this manner at the same party. Like, eat what you fucking, it's a plate of all the same shit, and you're like taking bites and then just taking a a fresh one. My daughter literally does that. I'll give her like six carrot sticks, and she'll just take bites out of, like half bites out of all of them and and say she's done. Jim Halsey. what the how the fuck you eating, my dude? He is, a, lends itself, he is a child. He is a fucking child. I, I was I, I just had a thought that maybe it lends itself to uh, the severed finger he thought was a one of his half bit French fries. Right. <laughs> what another another thought that I just had? How cool would it have been if he was dipping the fries in ketchup? That would have kind of uh, camouflaged the fucking finger. Maybe he thought the finger was. A French fry that he had already dipped in ketchup. I don't know. Yeah, Who knows? he's also not looking down at his plate for this to make to make this possible because he's in deep thought. But uh, yeah, he is. He's shell shocked. So he is. The fact that he would pick up something that has definitely noticeable different texture and mass than the previous things that he's eating, and not even give it a second thought until. It's almost literally in his mouth. And he's like, oh, fuck. That's a, fr-. you know, if, if, if it was you or I and we were sitting there eating a plate of fries, even if we weren't looking at it, we'd pick it up. We'd be like, this is not a French fry. It'd be like, oh, that's how like <laughs> that's how shook he is. I also think like if Midnight Flicks were to venture into uh, its directorial uh, debut, I feel like we would have him bite that finger. <laughs> You got to have them bite down on that fucking thing and pull pull off of it like it's a it's a fucking chicken wing. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, I think we've uh, bundled up this this uh, main section of discussing the movie. So do we want to move on to other things? Yes. Let's move on to the uh, the the last uh, last few categories of our of our podcast before yeah. we wrap this bitch up our awards and categories section coming up. And so you did say that you, you, you we're going to talk about quotes or are we just going to quotes? We had an off mic discussion, whether or not we wanted to get rid of the quote section. We're keeping it. So let's just keep, let's we'll do quotes now for now. We'll, we'll, we'll means test it with our robust audience and see what they think. <laughs> that would be great. What's so funny. <laughs> That's where the other guys at. <laughs> Who's the other guy? The guy who was driving that car back there. The guy who picked me up before you did. Was that him in the car? Yeah, I'm sure it was. Could have walked very far. Why is that? Because I cut off his legs. And his arms. And his head. I'm going to do the same to you. Um, so because I just thought that we weren't going to do quotes, I actually didn't have any down. I already I already said one of them, which was the, the cop. Uh, all right. The road's clear now. Get going, sweethearts. That one's a funny. But it's one. funny that you said that one, because uh, when I saw it, when I heard it, I was like that. That's the quote of the movie. That's the quote uh, of the movie. Just because I feel like that guy reads that line so well. It, he does. It's so, so good. The other the noticeable one is uh, Armin Shimmerman as the inter- uh, when he's interrogating him. He's like, what's your name? What's, you know, come on. Do you even have a fucking name? Like, what's your police record? Where are you from? And he's like, Disneyland. <laughs> That's yeah. a good, okay. I love that. Is that is a good one. That's a good uh- one. I'm sure there's other ones, but um, I'm I'm dropping the ball. Maybe here, real quick, we'll do a we'll do a real quick look see over here um, to see if we got any good ones that we're missing. Because I don't, I feel like yeah, overall this this is not a very quotable movie. It's it's an action packed movie that doesn't have uh, a whole lot of meat in, in in terms of the lines. But maybe we'll find some some that I'm missing here real quick. Let me or there we go. Okay. Um oh okay. There is obviously the the whole dialogue that's happening in the very beginning where you know John Ryder and Jim Halsey are having that interaction. And Jim Halsey's asking where he needs to take him and says a gas station, gas station out cigarettes. What about gas? I don't need gas. What do you want? And then it says, what's so funny? That's what the other guy said. What other guy? That guy back there, the, the one we just passed, the guy who picked me up before you did. That was him in there. Sure, it was. He couldn't have walked very far. Why is that? Because I cut off his legs and his arms and his head. And I'm going to do the same to you. It's such a bizarre line. It's, it's like, <laughs> I so, love that line too, though. But it's so strange the way he's like, he just keeps naming appendages. He's like arms <laughs> and legs and head. And like, he just keeps going. 
Yeah. Did you so catch anyway. that weird fucking interaction when the trooper is like, you spit on my wrist? And Halsey's like, what? He's like, right. I, said you, I said, you spit on my wrist, wipe it off. What the fuck was that interaction? <laughs> well, so yeah, strange. I mean, it was, well, obviously it was when a cop does that, when, when a cop states that the person that they're apprehending has done something to them, whether true or false, and it gives them justification to enact whatever. It's, you know. it's very, it's got some real life applications. That's why I was, it was weird to see it in a movie because it was like, I could see this happening, but why is this scripted movie? Like sure. make it more realistic. It, it was so, uh, it caught me off guard when I yeah. first saw it. And I think again, that's very topical for what's been happening lately. That's true. Yeah. Cops, you, cops do that. They use some sort of false, uh, premise for justification for apprehending somebody or murdering people or whatever. So, um, so yeah, so that's quotes. Let's see. Best scene, worst scene. What is the best scene? I think this is kind of a, a no brainer since we, we've talked about it pretty. And a new category for us. We got, we should have said that. We've got some new categories. Yeah. Thank that you. We're rolling Thank you. out. So we got, we got some, some fresh, fresh, some new, new, some new, new for you. Best scene, worst scene. Best scene, obviously, is the semi scene. Uh, hands down. I put the French fry scene. Did that's you really? My, that's my favorite scene. Yeah. Oh, well, that's okay. To me. Well, I, I'm glad that we have a little disagreement then because I just assumed that that would be the best scene. But yes, both are very good scenes. Mine will always be the the semi scene because. Yeah, it's it's absolutely iconic. Um the worst scene. What did I have as the worst scene here? Um, I don't know. Like there wasn't a like standout worst scene, but basically, again, I guess it was kind of the scenes where Hall, Jim Halsey's interacting with the cops and he's just being a, a little wee wee boy. But, you know, there's not really a standout like that scene. What the fuck for me? But maybe you have one. No, yeah, I didn't have like a this is the worst scene. But if I had to choose something. I just I would just say the ending is just like a wee bit fantastical to me. Like the escape from the prison bus and him jumping through the windshield, it it jumps from his character being like realistically uh horrifying for throughout the movie to like definitively supernatural and like it it, it flips the movie in terms of like mm. what it is and what that character becomes. But like I said, it's not like that seems awful. It's just that's that's where I it flips in my mind. Like definitively, I don't know if this person is even real. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if that would necessarily categorize that as being a bad scene, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, worst scene in terms of having to pick something. <laughs> All right. For the next uh category award that we have it's Dahmer I hardly knew her thanks thanks for that Pat that's your homage your love uh for uh our boy uh my love for J Dom I hope he's uh doing well in hell looking down <laughs> looking down up on us depending on what your ultimate cosmological religious he's got a rack of human ribs that he's eating right now oh yeah I mean you know you know, if there was a hell, my man is living the good life. Oh, he's good. Yeah, he's he's eating good in he's the neighborhood. Good. It's like a fucked up Applebee's. 
<laughs> a hellish. I mean, Applebee's <laughs> unto itself is pretty hellish. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, take you take fucking Applebee's riblets, but it's like fucking a preteen boy, and he's he's he is in the shit. No napkins either. He's just got viscera all over his fucking face. I mean, I might actually want to dine at an Applebee's if that was on the menu. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe um, I could get yeah. I would maybe I would fucking go. But yes, the Dahmer I hardly know were award for the most killer performance in the movie. So I hate to be samey because this also would overlap into the next thing we're talking about. I tried to branch out a little bit, but for me, the most killer performance is Rutger Hauer. But I would say as an honorable mention, second place, Jennifer Jason Lee. I I agree. It's it's best to try not to overthink some of these award categories, but I I gave it to see Thomas Howell simply for the honorary uh it's more of an honorary award for everything I've already brought up that uh, I just feel bad that his his acting trajectory got knocked off course in this in this year. And uh, I'm just going to give it to him because I want to give him some, some love and some some awards, uh, no matter how meaningless the award is. I, and I appreciate that. So that one goes out to our boy C. C. C- Tom. CTH. CTH. Uh, the next category, another new one, which I also appreciate, is the Michael Rooker Award for the most evil fucker in the movie, because Michael Rooker has played some pretty evil fuckers, notably, of course, Henry. Henry um, Lucas, yeah. Yeah, he, he pretty much you know started off his career playing one of the most evil roles. But again, in this movie, duh, like we can't make any... We, it would be a very logical – we'd have to use some log, logic elasticity to give it to anybody but Rutger Hauer. Yeah, Rutger, Rutger Hauer. Right. So would be hilarious if I said Jennifer Jason Lee, though. <laughs> or Jeffrey DeMunn. <laughs> yeah. just like you could tell, you know, in some weird convoluted way, he's actually the villain. I mean, I guess you could make a stretch and, and say the Texas Police Department – Yes, that is true. You're they're, right. They're probably collectively more evil than uh, than Rutger Hauer. I would agree. So there you go. But yes, ultimately it has to go to Rutger Hauer. Um, this new one, and we, you know, in previous episodes, we've talked about this before. It was mostly like when we get into the wiki wormhole, we talk about who would be uh, an interesting recast for this movie. So this next category is the recasting couch. And um, there's definitely some uh, interesting ones for me here. Uh, Before I looked into who actually was considered for some of these roles, there was a few that came off the top of my head. Um, For Jim Halsey, one interesting recast for me would have been Corey Feldman. I Uh, thought about one of the... Corey's as, right. as uh, that's interesting. I went there, but yeah, I didn't write that down as a, as a fantasy option. So that was one that just came off the top of my head. But as far as ones that I actually read about, um, there was uh, Matthew Modine. I don't know. Maybe for um, Halsey, for Halsey. Um, Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen, either or of those. Okay. I would, I would say of the two, I would uh, my pick would go more towards Emilio. Yeah, you got to go Emilio. Yeah. Yeah. For um, sure. And then I don't know if you saw this. I don't want to steal your thunder if you were going to bring it up. But, you know, yeah. your boy, your dude, 
Tom Cruise was considered for the role. What the fuck? I wrote Tom Cruise. That's what I was going to tell you <laughs> earlier when we talked about like when you were talking about how you didn't care for C. Thomas Howell's performance at times. And I was mm. like, I got an interesting side note for you. I did. This was no this wasn't any research that I did. I yeah. just wrote Tom Cruise would have been fucking great. Yeah, he actually was. Holy so. shit. This is unbelievable. <laughs> they should have had TC in this. I can't believe it. it, it his trajectory at that point um, was still middling in in like sex romp comedies. So it would right. have been a real departure for him. Uh, but oh, <laughs> it's that outsider connection, just like, yeah. you know, Emilio. And uh, I basically thought of the entire Outsiders cast and thought Swayze may have been too old. Uh, yeah, and absolutely. then I went through it and was like, Ralph Macchio, that's that's not going to work. And then I thought, TC, my my man, I plug and chugged. Yeah, that is you're blowing my mind. I had a surprise for you, and then you surprised me. Well, you know, if you want to get really like weird and and conspiracy theory and occulty about it, but think about it, you got CT or you got TC. TC. Whoa, <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically all the guys that were considered for this were the, yeah, they were the it, it boys, the, the heartthrobs of the era, of course. Yeah. yeah. That's what they have a baby face. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I can go for. I would almost think that, that even Tom Cruise would have been too old for this role too, honestly, but TC was pretty young still 86. I mean, he was doing like cocktail and, uh, I mean, he, he could have. He's so ageless now that even back then you could have curved him into even a like post high school kind of role just because he was so slim and baby faced. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, for my money, I I feel like Corey Feldman would have been a good good. And I think he was of the right age and still pretty baby faced. But I got to go go TC in terms of my most fantasy recasting that that would be it there you go as far as recast for john Ryder, um i didn't actually think of any directly because i mean this is one of those movies where you can't absolutely definitively cannot imagine anybody else but rucker howard but there was some interesting choices that i did research notably right off the top the one that almost got it was sam elliott and apparently that'd be great when Sam Elliott was reading for this in his audition, it terrified the producer so much that he like he was shook. That is phenomenal. What a phenomenal. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. it, going back to if uh, Midnight Flicks were to start directing movies, uh, he would Halsey would bite the finger and Halsey would also be forced to give Sam Elliott uh, a mustache ride in our version <laughs> of it. That's that's. That's the scene at the end. Yeah. yeah, that's the scene in the in the motel. And that brings it all back around to the whole the impl- the and the, the gay stuff. Yeah, the gay, yeah. yeah, the homoerotic implications. Sweethearts, little did he know, uh, Halsey was about to go for the ride of his life a little later in the movie. That's fucking phenomenal. I I only wrote down Dennis Hopper in terms of somebody else that could maybe do it. We already talked yeah. about Dennis Hopper, but yeah. De- Dennis Hopper would have been great too. So some of the other, but you, you, your mind's going to get blown with some of these other potential recasts. Oh so the other one that was, that almost had, it was Terrence Stamp. Do you remember Terrence, Terrence Stamp? The name I doesn't actually, ring a bell. 
I actually had to look him up, but he plays um, one of the bad guys in Superman 2. And if you look at his pictures from that time, you're like, okay, I could see this guy playing uh, John Ryder as well. But he has more of this like steely malevolence to his look. Like comic book villain. Yes, exactly. So I could see him doing it, but at the same time, I couldn't because there's not there's there's almost like a Brian Cox slash Anthony Hopkins in the yeah, role of, something off of Lecter kind of because he's also British, I believe. So he has that kind of he has that piercing intellectual kind of look, not to say that Rutger Hauer does it, but Rutger Hauer genuinely looks unhinged in a lot of ways. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. He's not able to like mask it as well as say those other guys. He's British. Yeah, if you're going to go piercing intellectual, you could get like a Lithgow. I don't know what yeah. he was doing in 1986, but that would have been weird. Yeah. I mean, Lithgow could potentially, but I also feel like Lithgow is more his, he's good in the role of I'm just the everyday, you know, like white middle-class dad, but I'm also a serial killer, you know? True. Yeah, that's and that's just because in all the villainous roles that I've seen him in, he kind of plays that that role of being look at me. I'm just look, I'm just a good guy. And then but he's actually this horrible monster. So um, possibly anyways. But as far as other ones, again, hold on to your skull, man. So your brain doesn't fucking <laughs> slosh around. Shoot it's out. CTE. <laughs> but David Bowie was considered. <laughs> Fuck my life. I, I, I couldn't imagine anything <laughs> fucking worse than that. Sting. Sting was considered. What the I fuck? Just, that's I kind of like that. That's fucking weird. Okay. Which I don't know what off of what basis because you know, like right before just every breath you take. It's well, just well, no, I mean, so in terms of cinema, well, he was in Dune. He played one of the Harkonnens. Yeah, yeah. so he plays a villainous role that, but that's that's a real leap. But finally. Well, and I'll explain actually why they thought about this, why the producers thought about this, because there was a reason for it. Uh, but finally, also, our man, HDS, Harry Dean Stanton was considered. Mm, for the role. That's great. Yeah, I, I could see that. HDS, uh, Sam Elliott and uh, Hopper. Uh, they're at the top. Uh, yeah. those, that's great. Those are all sensible roles. But as far as the these guys were all considered, because apparently the character of John Ryder was supposed to be this kind of slanky, skinny, skeletal individual. He wasn't supposed to be a, a filled out kind of muscular looking man like Rut, Rutger Hauer ultimately was. So that's why they kind of thought of people like David Bowie and Sting. Mm. So whatever. Well, thank God we didn't get that version. <laughs> yeah that would have been not not have been good at all so anyway so that's our recasting couch um which leads us up to our wiki wormhole our trivia part uh we always start these off with discussing the body count and like we were talking before we had found that website or message board where they they scrupulously broke down the body count in this yeah, in this good movie. work to whoever the hell did that yeah g- kudos to you but um the total count is 20 and uh so 17 that, of which are cops 17 uh of which are cops it's broken down uh, as thus 
so there's the implication with the finger, which is, the implication is that the finger was extracted from the family that Ryder kills from the uh, the station wagon. Mm-hmm. Um, John Ryder has 15 kills. Jim Halsey has five. Um, so there's the people in the station wagon. There's the cops. There's some hot pursuit. Uh, the useless murder that's uh, uh, implied or given in this category is the death of Nash. And then there's the uh, the revenge killing at the end. Yeah. So it did feel like almost more than 20, but um, at, at, to this day, maybe we'll get, maybe, maybe something will surpass it, but Waterworld is our, <laughs> our fucking record yeah. holder at 67. Of all of all the movies, Fucking to hold that Waterworld record. still Waterworld sixty seven, which gives me an opportunity to bring up Waterworld in every episode. So that's good. <sighs> yeah, you love it. Um, <laughs> um, so that's that. As far as some interesting tidbits surrounding this movie, so the concept of this movie was based off of the song by the Doors, "Writers on the Storm." Uh, writer oh, Eric Red. Um, we didn't even discuss the director and actor of the or director and writer of those movie. I meant to earlier, but um, we got rid of that categorically to make room for new categories. Yeah. So, but Eric read the writer. He got the inspiration for this when he was living in Texas. He was living in Austin, Texas, as a taxi driver, and he the lyrics to Riders on the Storm gave him the premise for this movie. Ah, that's really so. weird. Good yes. movie from a shitty band. That's great. I like ah, to see a see turd, it. a flower grow from a turd. And you're one of those people. You're you're a Doors <laughs> hater. I know so many Doors haters, and one of my favorite bands. I think uh, Broderpool Vintage single handedly make me made me want to fucking. <laughs> I can see that face Man. to a plate glass window. I don't know how anybody worked at Broderpool Vintage. That's like psychological torture. That like, lady. On, that- how do you fucking have? Come on, baby, light my fire. On a fucking loop. I don't get it. It's fucking nuts. Yeah, it's that is some straight up like Viet Cong style. <laughs> I would rather listen to like retail holiday music like than just the same song. <laughs> that's nuts. But that's, yeah. fu- that, that's funny that you brought that up because I completely forgot about the the weird lady uh, that owned that place that had that obsession with the doors. <laughs> it was on the TVs and shit in there, like Doors yeah. music videos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so strange. It was very excessive with so her. A, but, a callback for our Hoosier listeners. Yeah, for our our, our Naptown specific listeners. <laughs> our, yeah, our, specifically our Central Indiana listeners. Wonder if that lady's still there. I wonder if she still runs no that way. shop. She died of COVID. Probably. You're right. Anyways, um, <laughs> so there was that. Um, so. This is a twofer. So C. Thomas Howell actually he admitted to being genuinely intimidated and terrified of Rutger Hauer, so much so that the knife scene in the beginning where uh John Ryder puts the knife up to uh Jim Hollis's face and basically underneath his eye, he's like, How underneath you know how much blood squirts out of an eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and is getting him to tell to say, you know, I want to die or something of that. But that fear was genuine. C. Thomas Hall was terrified of Rutger Hauer. So I could see Rutger Hauer doing uh, some some character acting, just like some some method shit, just like never speaking to 
seat domicile at all throughout filming. And then the first scene they have is just like a fucking switchblade to his eyeball. (laughs) Absolutely. So I can see that for sure. Um, Let's see what else. So Rucker Howard did a lot of his own stunt driving and that, and that actually then it, it, it impressed the, crew of the movie so much that he was able to do his own stunt driving cth coming through good for him no 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 rucker hauer oh i thought you said oh did i say better. i didn't I was, mean that i was yet. actually impressed when when i thought it was C. <laughs> Thomas Hall. i'm not no. impressed with rucker hauer because that that is uh, uh i could see that 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 checks right yeah, yeah that, that vibes i i thought c thomas Hall was doing, doing <laughs> shit i was like what okay you know uh, that 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 makes sense um, I wanted to bring this up because another shout out to Brandon, um, Brandon, my friend, Brandon, who I mentioned earlier, he insisted that for this podcast, we eventually do the movie duel. Have you ever seen duel? Yeah. 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 Okay. So there's parallels to this movie and duel. Yeah. Very much. Uh, so. Um, in terms of just critically, uh, once again, Ebert, <laughs> Ebert thought that that this was a more sadistic, cynical version of Duel, essentially. But um, also the Roy's Motel and Cafe, where uh, Jim Halsey goes and meets up with uh, John Ryder eventually with the the gun scene, that has been shown in other movies, uh, and one of them being notably, I'm pretty sure it's in Duel when. Um, when uh what's his name i'm fucking drawing a blank but the main character in duel gets run off the road and he goes to that that cafe where he's like freaking out and having his paranoid fucking blitz essentially that's the same place really that's interesting yeah. I'm, I'm almost 100 percent positive it's the same place but that place has been shown in other movies because it's like right off of like a main highway in california oh interesting okay um so there's that man this one you're get, you're gonna get a real kick out of this one. This you're gonna get a chuckle out of this. George W. Bush was on the board of directors for the company that produced this movie. So it's produced by HBO Films, right? I think or TriStar. I don't know. I can't remember. That's what I was confused at with the beginning. I didn't even know HBO like I didn't even know HBO Films was like a speci- like a specific production company that produced and created their own. Movies. Yep. I thought they were in the business of, of, co- uh, like cooperatively making movies and or buying the rights to films and showing. Them. But yeah, that's very strange. <laughs> yeah, apparently a lot of a lot of studios pass on this movie. So Maybe that's why it dropped to HBO Films. Yeah, <laughs> which back uh, then in the '86, it's not like HBO was a uh, the powerhouse it is now. Um. So that will lead me to talk about it. You know, the studios that produced it and it getting passed over. Part of that had to do with um, a lot of movies. It was a hot potato, essentially. A lot of uh, producers did not like specifically the scene where Jennifer Jason Lee gets torn in half. Um, they thought it was a pretty violent movie. The thing is that the director actually wanted it to be way more violent. There was a lot of scenes or ideas that were cut from it. One that there was apparently there was supposed to be an eyeball and a burger scene. Um, And the finger. I don't know if it was supposed to be either or, but there was supposed to be an eyeball and the burger. Uh, There was supposed to be a decapitation scene. Nash and Halsey were supposed to fuck. 
and it was, it was supposed to be a gratuitous sex scene. So there was what the hell. Um, also, finally, the scene where Nash gets pulled apart that was supposed to be shown. The gore was supposed to be shown in the original script. Um, and so when this movie eventually didn't do well, people that made it they attributed it to the fact that the movie was not gory enough that the fact that the studio or whoever the producers held them back from showing a lot of the gore they said that was the reason why it failed which i i don't know i don't necessarily disagree i think i know i actually agree yeah i think if you lean into it harder you get an even more niche audience out of it than taking more stuff away and then kind of like neutering the movie. Right. I, I could see the logic in it. Yeah, because it made the movie a little bit more middling. Then give us then give us a fucking Hitcher director's cut then. Yeah, absolutely. It's overdue. I don't know if – but that's the thing. I don't know if they, they ever shot any of these scenes. Oh, they were didn't th- even make it to, yeah. to yeah, celluloid. <laughs> okay. That's what I'm saying. It was in the script, but it ultimately got cut from the script. So yeah, there's no, there no deleted scenes that we can – Never mind. You know, we have the uh, pleasure of eventually seeing. So <clears throat> anyways, um, so, you know, if any of you remember from previous episodes and, and Pat, you know this, that I like to talk about gun trivia. Yeah. So a little gun trivia with this. The shotgun that Ryder takes from the cops at the climax of the movie is a SPAS-12 semi-automatic tactical combat shotgun. So it's a badass. It's a bad. It's a bamf. That is a bamf of a gun. Is that a is that standard issue on a prison bus? I don't know. I just don't, I don't know the answer I don't to these know. questions. I, I, it looked familiar enough that I've seen it in other movies, definitely. Where that's that's yeah. You always that, see the prison bus with like the fucking gun, the shotgun, like latched up on a on the fucking wall or whatever. Yeah, up by the or by the driver. Um, another interesting thing about this was the character John Ryder was originally supposed to be using a voice box. <laughs> so he was supposed to have <laughs> he was supposed to have a voice like this have you ever seen an eyeball and how much blood spurts out <laughs> that is fucking nuts I'm Stephen Hawking wow wow just have Stephen Hawking in, in that's fantasy cast there there you go Stephen Hawking says John Ryder boom better upgrade <laughs> So there you go. There's some there's some tasty morsels for you to chew on about the movie. You got anything that you th- that you found? No, I was just here to sit back and listen to the factoids. Just, I did just, not know any of that stuff. So that's just, great. You just wanted me to shower you with just with your piss, your piss just, facts. Just spooge you with my trivia dick. Now I'm soaking wet. <laughs> okay, you the just boys sit- are back in town just sanding over there like a glazed donut mm-hmm. okay so now it is time after all is said and done we've we've given you the grand ex you know the grand explanation of this movie we've told you how we feel uh but ultimately we got to top it off with a rating and and if we designate this movie as indeed a midnight flicks so for me, 
here's my rating and here's my um oh we also like to give you some sort of icon or a little some iconography i feel like we're on the same page with the iconography i can't believe i can't imagine that you have anything other else absolutely i know we're we're definitely like we're of one mind with this but i'm rating this out of bloody french fry finger yes i wrote severed fingers out of five uh what do i rate this fried fingers I give this a four out of five French fry fingers. We're That's vibing. Hard it, it's, it's only the first episode of season two, but so far uh, we're vibing hard Four, I put four out of five uh, French fried fingers. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really good movie. It's one of my favorites, not quite up there in the echelon of some four. of the others. It's a yeah. solid four out of five French fry fingers. And, I definitely this is definitely a midnight movie for me. This is not a movie that you would want to see with your kids in the middle of the day, even though I did just watch it here at like one and one in the afternoon to make sure that. But I'm also a weirdo, so I I will watch this shit all day, every day. Doesn't matter. But for the purposes of this movie or for this podcast, this is a midnight movie. I would say that this is probably like a one to two o'clock movie. This is a thing that you would watch, you know, with the lights down pretty late i had just midnight it just it's a midnight midnight movie it's at midnight the hbo tag makes it even more of a like i'm staying with my parents at a hotel in daytona and the the holiday inn's got some hbo so i'm gonna watch some tv after mom and dad go to sleep and the hitcher's on so yeah midnight um right on the fucking dot there you go Cool. Well, I mean, but but again, by and large, like you said, we're we're vibing pretty hard on this inaugural season we're on two the episode. Same page for to I'm start feel, the season. I'm feeling good. I felt good going into this episode, so I'm 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 having posy vibes for sure. Great, because I so, feel mutual, mutual. That's good. It's good to have you back, Pat. Good to have you back in my ears. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be back on the horse here. OK, so that being said, I'm going to pass the baton to you. You are picking our next movie. I'm so excited. I, I just with bated breath. I, I'm I I'm can't wait. Rolling through now. And um, I'm I have my list here in front of me. I'm just going to go ahead and say, let's do Dead Alive. Peter Jackson's Dead Alive. OMG. We gotta oh, do it. Let's get it out of the fucking way. Hell yeah. And by out of the way, yeah. I mean have a the greatest fucking time ever. Dude, I am so ready to kick ass for the Lord. It's uh one of my favorite uh horror movies. Um and it's the perfect mix of insanity on a, a like a really fun, insane movie that is like the most amount of fucking gore physically possible to be thrown at you <laughs> it's so good it's just fun and fucking over the top and gory and great yes truckloads of gore i'm pretty sure maybe we'll get into the research or we will get into the research uh next week but um i'm pretty sure it still holds the title for the most amount of uh synthetic blood used in a movie they he had to like bring in like 50 gallon drums of fucking fake blood especially for the house scene at the end when he does the lawnmower murders it's just like the most, <laughs> most blood ever used in a single scene 
Excellent. All right. Well, cool. That wraps that up. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music for this week is brought to you by Seattle-based death metal trio Noroth. Thank you so much, guys, for letting us use some of your tunes. And if you are a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod. And also, I want to let you know I am working on a Facebook page. It is not up and ready to go. We're having, I had some uh, technical difficulties with it, but we'll eventually get that up as well. Uh, and I'll let you know about it next episode. Um, so there you go. For co-host Patrick Mitchell, I am Adam Walker, and we're going to see you next time. Maniacs. Maniacs.